Hey Branches, it's Tuesday, February 27th, and we're continuing in our reading of the Gospel of Mark, and we're still in chapter 6 for, I'll just put it out there, a weird one today. <laughs> a one that, you know, has some great maybe historical detail and maybe even some uh, historical uh, misapprehension or even some mistakes on the gospel writer's part. But it gives us an insight into some other characters around Jesus's ministry, which is kind of a break for us. We've been kind of wondering who this Jesus character is. But we also get a look into some rulers of the time, kind of family drama, and a little bit more about John the Baptist, who he was and uh, and, and what he taught and what his ministry was like and the response to John the Baptist's ministry. So we're glad you're here today. If you're listening this morning or your lunch hour or winding down in the day, uh, you're in for a weird one today in John chapter 6, starting in verse 14. It says this, King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some were saying, John the baptizer has been raised from the dead, and for this reason, these powers are at work. In him. But others said it is Elijah, and others said it is a prophet like the one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For Herod himself had sent men who arrested John, bound him, and put him in prison on account of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because Herod had married her. For John had been telling Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to kill him, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he protected him. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he liked to listen to him. But an opportunity came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his courtiers and officers and for the leaders of Galilee. When his daughter Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it. And he swore to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you even half my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, what should I ask for? She replied, the head of John the baptizer. Immediately, she rushed back to the king and requested, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was deeply grieved, yet out of regard for his oaths and for the guests, he did not want to refuse her. Immediately, the king sent a soldier of the guard with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison, brought his head on a platter, and gave it to the girl. Then the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard about it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. It's kind of a Game of Thrones reading this week. <laughs> the family drama, the violence, the kind of even like sexual gaze that uh, Herod and his guests have for this young woman. It's, it's an odd story and maybe not one that I would preach, but maybe I would, uh, that there's maybe some nuggets of truth here about, again, the identity of Jesus, which we brought up several times, the identity of John, which is kind of a helpful precursor to Jesus, and also good or bad leadership, what it means to be a holy man, or as it puts uh, it puts here, a righteous and holy man in uh, verse 20. Herod, this Herod, is not the Herod that you know of from the other gospel accounts that have a birth narrative of Jesus. This Herod that sought to root out this threat of this newborn baby. This is actually his son. And I kind of teased at the beginning, this is just a note from historians, that actually we do know that this Herod uh, was maybe not married to his brother Philip's wife, but to another brother of his, also named Herod. 
don't know a lot about naming conventions back then, but it seemed like there were a lot of Herods running around. Herod and his brother Herod and his dad Herod, but the uh, historian, well-known Jewish historian Josephus records that um, it wasn't Philip's wife Herodias, but Herod's wife Herodias, who then went to be with Herod Antipas, who we read about here. Anyway, enough of the historical detail. We hear that Herod feared John the Baptist. There's something about him that that uh, he had fear about. It's mostly, I would think, his conscience, knowing that he was breaking the law, that he was doing a thing that was unjust. He was married to his brother's wife, whether it was Philip or other Herod, we'll call him. There's actually a couple of verses in Leviticus worth looking up, uh, Leviticus 18.16 or Leviticus 20.21 20, that forbids you marrying your brother's wife. At any rate, uh, we hear that he feared him, he was breaking the law in front of him, that John was unfazed by being in front of this powerful man and telling him that he was doing something wrong. I'm sure one thing among many, but we hear this kind of insight into Herod's own psychology around John the Baptist. It says, yet he liked to listen to him. I don't know what that's about, uh, but it reminded me of how Benjamin Franklin, kind of a historical American figure, loved the preaching of George Whitfield, though Benjamin Franklin said in so many words he didn't believe one sentence of it. He was drawn in by it, magnetized by it, kind of uh, maybe instructed by it, or at least just in awe of the crowds that someone like George Whitfield, who's at the beginning of the Methodist movement, could draw in in the open air. George Whitfield was an early Methodist preacher. He and John Wesley, kind of the founder of the Methodist movement, were at odds theologically, but are really both heroes. I would say righteous and holy men like John the Baptist, who had that same effect on people. We see that effect John the Baptist has on Herod. Let me get this again, this drama, something similar to maybe the book of Ruth, if you've read that before, where Herodias didn't like John the Baptist because of this charge he had against her and her husband, Herod, in this story. And so she sees her opportunity and she seizes it to have him beheaded. Though Herod could have said no, he knew it probably wasn't the right move and it really wasn't the right move but he's a bad leader. He goes kind of caving to this opportunity, caving to this promise that he made that he ought not have made, and he does behead John the Baptist. And then I think in a tease of what's to come, we hear that John's disciples, this is all happening before Jesus's ministry, kind of a a lost TV show style flashback. We see his disciples go lay him in a tomb. They honor him by putting him in a tomb, not leaving him in a shallow grave or to be left headless somewhere else in Herod's kingdom, but they put him in a tomb to honor him. Again, John the Baptist paved the way for Jesus. And later on in the story, we see Jesus, his disciples, laying him in a tomb. Spoiler alert, I guess, if you don't know the story. But John the Baptist, in many ways, is a, is a figure for me I care a lot about. I have an icon of John the Baptist in my office, this righteous and holy man, this kind of odd figure who stands out in the ministry of Jesus, who paved the way for the man to come, paved the way for this son of man, the, the savior, the great physician who we've talked about, this healer, this miracle worker to come. He pointed away from himself and pointed to Jesus. One of my favorite uh, Christian theologians. You've probably heard me quote him before if you've listened to me preach as Karl Barth, Swiss theologian, and many people say is the most important theologian of the past century. Uh, that's kind of a tall order. Uh, but 
Karl Barth had above his desk where he did his work. He did his work of theology, his academic work of theology in service to the church. That Theology was meant to be a discipline that informed the preaching and teaching of the church to teach new disciples of Jesus. Above his desk was this, this beautiful art piece called the Eisenheim Altarpiece. It's actually kind of a terrifying depiction of the crucifixion of Jesus as kind of contorted limbs and fingers and this awful look on his face. And off to the side is John the Baptist in what I describe as a Dora the Explorer type haircut. Google it, look it up. Uh, John the Baptist and the Eisenheim altarpiece. And he's pointing away from himself and with this long kind of alien looking finger to the crucifixion. And behind him, now faded because of the age of the painting, is a Latin phrase from John the Baptist's own words in the Bible, I must become lesser so that you can become greater. This kind of horrendous thing that's happened to John the Baptist, it's an awful thing, it's not a good thing, but it demonstrates who John the Baptist is for us in this story. One who became lesser, who took on this particular role, not to aggrandize himself, not to lift himself up, not to make himself important or have more power or influence, but to point to Jesus. How today or for the rest of the week can you point away from yourself and point to Jesus? I think it's a worthwhile question to ask if we want to follow him and a question that I hope you'll ask in the coming days and the coming weeks as we continue our journey through Mark together. Thanks for listening.